the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. From the heart of New York City and the tri-state area to the most active real estate hotspots across America. Keeping you plugged in to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news and legal developments to everything you need to know about buying or selling a property. Benefited by the advice of the experts. Now, here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. Welcome back to Ion Real Estate. I'm attorney Stephen Ebert with Ndadi Herman, and we're pleased to have with us Professor Richard Green, who is the director of the USC Law Center for Real Estate. He is also a former analyst uh, at Freddie Mac and on faculty previously at George Washington University in the University of Wisconsin. Professor Green, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's my pleasure. You know, in the first hour, we talked about a lot of issues affecting the real estate market. Um, we'd love to get your thoughts on just some of the current trends that you're seeing that's impacting the housing market and the tie-in with the economy. Yeah, well, well, I think the first trend is the lack of a trend, which is I think most of us expected the rapid increase in interest rates. Uh, so 30-year fixed-rate mortgages are more than double where they were 18 months ago to have a more profound impact on house prices. And while we have seen house prices fall a little bit um, in New York and out here in California, and they've fallen more in San Francisco than they have in New York or Los Angeles, they haven't fallen by all that much. And nationally, again, they've, they've fallen a little bit, by, but not by all that much. And so what's going on here that you, you can have a doubling interest rates, which means people's ability to purchase has been substantially reduced from where it was 18 months ago and, and so little impact on prices. And in fact, we're starting to see an increase in prices again ah. in many markets around the, around the country. There's a shortage in, of inventory. Exactly. And, and it's, I think the most important thing going on right now is we have about 70% of homeowners with mortgages below 4%. And as a result of that, they have no interest in selling their houses because they have this valuable lot, which is long-term debt, that is very cheap. And, and what they could do is take money and put it in treasuries right now and basically make a profit off of their mortgage. Um, if, if they have money, they could, instead of paying down equity, uh, they could put money in a treasury security and the interest rate on that treasury will be more than enough to cover their mortgage costs, or, or at least the interest on their mortgage. Uh, and so what's happening is people, instead of selling their houses, if they have to move, they're going to rent their houses out to somebody uh, because they cash flow on that, and they'll, then they'll rent somewhere else until interest rates come back down again. So we have really gummed up the supply of housing that's available. And so the bad news is it's a really tough market for first-time home buyers right now, and we're seeing that. We're, the share of uh, buyers that are first time is very low at the moment. Um, but 
it actually means that people who bought their houses, particularly more than two years ago, are sitting pretty at the moment. That that makes a lot of sense. And I want to take the, the, that information and throw a few other variables on top of that as well. When I think about um, job growth, when we think about some of the displacements in job growth and loss, and also with immigration, asylum seekers, and homelessness, um, and crime, how does that further move the market on top of the trends that you identified? So that's a lot to unpack in one question. So let me sure. try to do my best with that one. Um, so I, let's take it uh, one at a time. So in terms of employment, I mean, there have been a lot of headlines about layoffs, particularly in the tech sector. But the tech sector is actually, it's an incredibly important part of our economy, and I don't, don't want to understate that. But it's actually not a very big share of jobs. So about 2% of people in the U.S. work in the, the tech sector. Uh, so, of course, in places like the Bay Area uh, and New York and Washington, D.C. and Seattle, uh, it's more it's, it's a bigger share than that. But um, and here in Southern California, of course, the layoffs at the content industry, the sort of Amazon Prime, uh, Netflix, et cetera, has an impact, but again, it's not a large number of jobs. And overall, one of the things that's been remarkable is no matter what the Fed does, is job growth continues to be strong. We had more than 300,000 jobs nationally. Um, I, I think what you're seeing is though, the jobs are tending to go to places where housing is most available. And so we have had uh, a lot of housing construction in Florida and Texas and we basically don't have enough houses in Southern California right now for people to live in. This Bay Area actually is getting a little relief because people are moving out in, in larger numbers um, relative to new construction. Um, people are moving where they can have a better standard of living. And so I think that the first thing we look at is what, what is the difference between wages and house prices? So if you have you know, the, the Bay Area is a high-wage area, but it's all, the highest-wage area in the United States, um, but it's also an incredibly high house price area. So if you're not making one of those high wages, you, you just can't live there. Here in L.A., we're sort of medium wages and high house prices. You folks in New York, you know, when you think of New York, you think of Manhattan, which is a very high wage, but the New York metropolitan area, higher than average, but not extraordinarily high overall and high house prices. And then you have a, a, a place like Miami where um, housing is pretty cheap by national standards, but the wages are kind of low. And, and so you have these different sorts of affordability. And, and so in Miami, you're seeing, starting to see the gentrification that you've been seeing in California for years as high-wage people are moving in and, and sort of outbidding the lower-wage incumbents and pushing them out to largely other parts of Florida so, and not the rest of the country. When you, wouldn't you also say that from the pandemic, where people got used to working at home. And I know at least in New York, they're trying to make a push for people to come back. But right. I don't think it's ever going to come back the same way. So people, if they don't have to be in these big cities every single day, it allows them to live, you know, further away from the city. So, so that's a great point. And so here's a view I have that may be an uncommon one is I do think in the short term, 
the San Francisco's, New York's, and Chicago's struggle. Although New York is already seeing some return. To, if we look at the last census numbers, um, Manhattan had a small increase in population. So it, it's not losing people anymore after a couple of years where it lost quite a few. Um, but one thing I want to remind your viewers and your listeners, excuse me, is New York City lost half a million manufacturing jobs between about 1970 and 2010. And the teens were among the strongest decade in the history of New York City in terms of, pop, in, uh, I shouldn't say history, but in the post-World War II era, um, you had more growth in New York City, in the city itself, than you've had in any decade going back to the 50s at, um, at the earliest. And so why is that? Because New York has a resilience that very few cities have because it has a variety of things that no other city has. Now, most, do most people want to live in New York? Not really. But remember, as huge as New York is, uh, now about eight and a half, it, it peaked nine million people. In a country of 330 million people, you only need a small number of young people who want to be there every year in order to maintain its vitality. And the history of New York has been one of churn is people move there when they're young. Uh, one of my daughters did this, as a matter of fact, and they learn what they can by being in New York, and then um, and then they move on to someplace else, particularly when they have families, because it is difficult exactly. to raise a family in, in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. um, so that, but that, that ability to reinvent itself has been a hallmark of New York for 400 years now. And I don't know what the next New York is going to look like, but I am certainly not, given its history, I'm not going to write it off. I'm sure you remember, maybe you're younger than I am, but people were writing off New York in the 70s, right? It was Absolutely. dead. It was I mean, over. It was nobody wanted to live there anymore. The crime was terrible. The crime was terrible. The subways were terrible. The subways were terrible. I mean, all of that was true. But I think because of that, um, it still was an exciting place, and that still is going to attract people. And so what New York looks like, will it be uh, accountants in big office buildings on 6th Avenue in 20 years? I don't think so. I think that is changed, right? And Midtown may be a very so different So I want to interrupt for one second. So I think, yeah. I think yeah. this is an – I want to stress onto that point because there are some articles, and I agree with you, that more so than almost any other city in the world, there is a dynamism to New York, the ability to reinvent itself. That is a critical part of the story. Um, but I want to talk about a theme which they're talking about impacting New York, but also other major commercial corridors around the country. San Francisco is one, but other cities, too, where they're calling it. And I think this this overstates it. But but I'll, I'll take the line, what they call that doom loop cycle of where if people aren't returning to the offices in the same numbers, even if, if it's trending better, but it's still not quite there lowering the valuations of buildings, the ability of some of these bu these buildings to refinance, right? And maybe some yeah. owners handing back the keys. And then those buildings represent a core amount of revenue to urban areas through the property tax base, which in an area, in a time where we have an element of a digital economy, real estate's a real boon to municipalities because you can't move the building. And then all of a sudden now you have fewer 
um, taxpayers potentially and less tax revenue. And then all of a sudden your mix of population may need more services and greater demands on that. You know, other people call that a little bit the Detroitification of certain cities. Um, want to get some of your thoughts on that and maybe even some ideas that municipalities can keep in mind on a policy side to help uh, avoid that or minimize it. Yeah, so it's a great question. And, and there was a piece in the Times by my friend Stein von Neuenberg, who is a, a professor at Columbia, that was worried about this. And then Ed Glazer at Harvard sort of said, no, 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 it'll, it'll be fine. Uh, this is why I said long run, I think New York and San Francisco will be fine. The short term, I said that they are going to face challenges. And this is a very real challenge, just sure. as the loss of manufacturing was a very real challenge. So what did New York do in the aftermath of those big manufacturing losses? Is it basically repurposed what you could use buildings for? And, you know, the story is Robert De Niro moves to Tribeca and converts an old warehouse into a loft, and suddenly uh, Tribeca becomes cool and people start moving there. Exactly. And a place that was not considered a particularly nice neighborhood suddenly becomes the place everybody wants to live. Now, I don't know how you do that with – I mean, industrial buildings are actually easier to repurpose than office buildings. But to your point about policy, the policy has to be we have to make it as easy as possible as it is to repurpose buildings. And that could take one of two forms, either um, re, uh, redoing what is within the current building – Although with office, converting office to residential is a very hard thing to do because the floor plates is. Agreed. Um, unless, unless people, unless we can figure out some virtual sunlight mechanism that people will believe is real sunlight, uh, you, you, you're not going to have resi in the middle of office buildings. And so, you know, you think about what it off, what it and, and also there's no neighborhood. The demands for schools, oh, for space, and type of retail yeah. doesn't match. But I think that's really, I think reinventing, you know, I said, I said in the beginning of the show, that, you know, I had Governor Pataki on during the 9-11 week, and um, he was governor, of course, when we had 9-11, so he went through what he did to get people to go downtown. Nobody wanted to go downtown, and nobody wants to live in a high building, you know, in a high floor, and, you know, the opposite now, the harder the floor, the more you're going to pay. And downtown became better and bigger than it ever was. So I said, what would you do if you were the governor today in New York? And he said, it's not coming back. And I said, it always comes back. Maybe different it always reinvents himself. And he said, well, the most important thing is the bail. He said, because people want to feel safe, and until they get rid of the, the bail law, where, you know, you could just, I think it's up to $1,000. I think it might be like that in L.A. and California also. Uh, you can kind of just do what you want. And we're seeing well, people being robbed and, and businesses, and small businesses can't sustain themselves if they're, you know, someone can rob them every week and never get in trouble for it. Yeah, well, I mean, let's again, New York gives us some guidance on this. Again, one of the things about the 70s in New York that made it so unappealing was crime was just out of control then. And I actually think, and of God, your history, your knowledge of New York history is much greater than mine. But, you know, when Ed Koch became mayor, 
I think he was very mindful of dealing with that. And, and one of the things I see people talk about that crime statistics in New York and San Francisco are really not that bad. And, and that's actually true. But it's what people perceive about safety that matters. And if I can come out here to L.A., a problem we're having is people are not using our metro system. And it's because our metro system and, and believe it or not, we have one out here. Um, it's dirty and it, Doesn't everybody and, it drive? Smells, no. <laughs> and it smells bad. And, and, um, the, the folks at UCLA did a study on this is why is ridership dropped so much? And the principal reason is that women don't feel safe using transit. And, you know, it seems to me to be actually a progressive value to have women feel safe. And so if we aimed policy at, that goal is women feeling safe in public transportation. Let's just make that the uh, the number one thing we want to accomplish. Because I don't think that's a very controversial statement, but that's going no, to imply not. you have to do. Yeah, that's going to imply that you have to do a certain set of other things that might make you uncom- uncomfortable. But keep your eye on the prize of making women feel safe, particularly on that. transit. And I think that's I the way you could, I beg your pardon? I said, I'm, I'm with you because I won't take transit anymore. And the traffic in New York is like I've never seen it like this before. <laughs> Off, over the yeah. top. Well, I, yeah, you know, and, I think and, also, and this you know, goes back to our, 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 our doom loop cycle comment, like if, if people don't feel comfortable taking uh, public transit, you'll have fewer riders, which means people will feel, wait a minute, who's around? Nobody's around which again reduces ridership, but you have a relatively high fixed cost to operate the system. Um, yeah. And yeah, then the question Steve, is, how do you run that? At the end of the day, let's go back to the point. Let's make, that's a simple statement. It's not controversial. I don't think anybody would argue with that. Sure. Okay. And, you know, we have enough controversy where people don't speak to each other anymore, which is another problem. But that I think everyone would agree. So I would like to take that stand. I think that's a great point, uh, making women feel, feel safe. And uh, I, I think that also when they, you know, I was in Florida a while. So when I heard the news, I mean, it was like New York, California, their, their crime is up. I think crime is up in all major cities. It's not just New York. Okay. Yes. But they really yes. emphasize that. It's how they slant the news sometimes. So, Professor Green, just to circle back on this, when we have a time period in which municipal budgets are under pressure, where rates have gone up, which also means the borrowing costs for transit mm-hmm. um, and bond issuances and for the management of government is higher, um, you know, I see, look, I see different municipalities trying to solve it differently, right? In, in Los Angeles, we recently had the imposition of a top property transfer tax. Um, you know, some really thoughts right right after the break. I know we're coming to a commercial, but, you know, just to conclude, just some, some thoughts, some suggestions for top of mind municipalities to really push through um, and, and to solve this uh, crisis. Well, I, I agree with you, and I think we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, because, again, when you're listening to news, I always tell people, no one can time a market perfectly, and some of this news is slanted. And I just hear New York, California, New York, California, uh, 
people exiting. But that's also because of affordability. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, and we, so I'd love to hear because we very rarely get to you on the show. We're so thrilled. Are you fed up with hair loss or weak, brittle hair? Invite Health would like to introduce you to Hair Enhance HX. This powerful bioactive formula targets the root causes of hair loss, like stress, hormone imbalance, and nutritional deficiencies, packed with clinically studied nutrients shown to increase hair strength and growth. Formulated to target male and female pattern hair loss with amino acids to strengthen hair and promote new hair growth, this comprehensive formula addresses the multiple causes of weak, brittle, and lackluster hair. Take advantage of this limited-time offer by Buy one bottle of Hair Enhance HX as suggested retail and get the second bottle free. Contact Invite at 800-673-2345. That's 800-673-2345. Or go to invitehealth.com and use promo code HAIR. Are you ready to get to the root cause and finally see and feel a difference? Call now, 800-673-2345 for Hair Enhance HX. For adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, poor candidates for systemic or phototherapy, now there's SkyRizzy. Rizenkizumab Rizza, a prescription-only 150-milligram injection. With SkyRizzy, three out of four people achieve 90% clear skin at four months. And SkyRizzy is just four doses a year after two starter doses. Nothing in me go hand in hand. Nothing on my skin, that's my new plan. Don't use if allergic to SkyRizzy. Serious allergic reactions and an increased risk of infections or lower ability to fight them may occur. Before treatment, your doctor should check for infection and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms, such as fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, or if you plan to or recently received a vaccine. With SkyRizzy, you could achieve 90% clearer skin. Ask your doctor about the number one dermatologist prescribed biologic in psoriasis and visit SkyRizzy.com or call 1-866-SKYRizzy to learn more. We can tell you about the incredible success we bring to local businesses, but it's better when it comes directly from our satisfied clients. Here's just one example. After searching for a new vendor to handle my search marketing campaign, I contacted Salem Surround after seeing the great work they did for another restoration company in the different market. Their team of experts recommended a mix of multiple tactics designed to get my business the most quality leads at the lowest cost, making my marketing budget stretch further. In our first year partnering with Salem Surround, we recorded our best year to date and I've told many people how blessed I was to find them. The representative answered the phone every time I called and quickly addressed any questions or concerns I had. Let Salem Surround give you an absolutely free audit of your current marketing and show you what your competition is doing. Then we come up with a personalized plan that's perfect for your needs. Google Salem Surround New York and let our marketing experts help you achieve real success. Remember to Google Salem Surround New York today. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back, and we have Professor Green, and love to hear your thoughts. I mean, we've been talking and asking you a lot of questions, but just want to hear from you now. Just give us basically, and it's hard to do it in a short amount of time, but some of the highlights and things that you think people should know or look out for some of the trends that you see, whether they're lasting or not. So I, I, I think the main thing is we know we need more housing everywhere. 
And we, the response of policymakers and sometimes voters to that is to make it less attractive to build housing instead of more attractive to build housing. Um, this is true in New York. It's true in Los Angeles. Things like we just passed a real estate transfer tax here that's a, a 4% tax on everything above $5 million. That's not just single-family homes. That would be whole apartment buildings. So if, if you spend $10 million building an apartment building and even sell it for $9 million, you still have to pay the 5% tax on that. Uh, we also have things called linkage fees here, which if you want to build a house uh, in Los Angeles, you have to um, – pay money on top of that construction cost to go into a affordable housing fund. And I can think of no other product in the world where the response to a shortage of it is to make it more expensive to do it. And we have had policies around the country that have done just that, and we should stop doing that. I understand. I, I wonder who and, makes and, these. Who, who I, I say something, what are they smoking or something because they're not in reality, and, you know, it, it's a problem. I mean, people can't get houses. So many young people say, well, there's nothing out there. And um, this problem, I was just reading that it really stems after the 2008 crisis, that it started then yeah. when, when builders didn't want to build that much anymore because they got hurt then. And so that shortage of housing started like a while ago. Right. Now, we basically went 10 years in this country where we built at between one-third and one-half the pace the number of housing that we customarily build um, in a year. And, you know, part of it is, as you say, part of it is in the aftermath of the financial crisis, lenders didn't want to lend. There's understandably so, although it, again, shows right. people look backwards. 2008 was the best time ever to lend for a house because prices had come down so much. There was no way that you were going to be upside down if you bought a house in 2008, 2009. It, it was actually a great time for lenders. It's a very safe time for lenders. Um, but the other thing is we have had towns throughout the country uh, do things in order to respond to the affordable housing crisis, actually make it harder to build housing. And, you know, Professor Green, on that point, one of the things which are really two competing tensions that I see going on is on the one hand, you know, the needs of a home are different, smarter technology, environmental concerns. On the other hand, that dries up the cost of construction. You know, I, I know some of the laws that passed over in L.A. also on materials that can be used for single-family home construction. Um, you know, thoughts on really certain solutions of what you're seeing um, in, in your studies and, and research on exactly how to square these two competing interests. So we, we have a developer out here named Randall Lewis, who um, was one of the largest developers in the Inland Empire, which are the suburban counties to the east of Los Angeles, San Bernardino and Riverside counties. And he makes a really good point, which is, again, if you're worried about housing, housing should just be about housing. It shouldn't be about solving other problems of the world. Now, that's not to say we should build dangerous houses or, you know, we, we don't want things to happen like what happened with that condo in Florida in the last year. Is no. we, we need to have make sure houses are structurally sound. 
have sufficient ventilation. I mean, th- there's no argument that you can't let people just put up whatever they want. But when you start layering um, houses are going to solve our work problem, houses are going to solve our environmental problems, housing is going to solve this or that, then it's inevitable that housing is going to be more expensive, as you say. So we need to ask ourselves the question, how important is it really for us to provide housing that people can afford? I mean, to give an extreme an example, and this doesn't work in New York City or Los Angeles, but it would work in wide swaths of the country. Why can't we subdivide properties into 3,000 square foot lots that people could then put mobile homes on, strap them down, they own the land, they own the home. In most of the country, land is three bucks a square foot, so you're looking at a $10,000 lot, 100K for the mobile home. We could provide people with $110,000 houses in very large swaths of America. And zoning prohibits that, or building codes prohibit that. So we do have answers available to us, but we're not permitted to exercise those answers. You know, it's very interesting that you settle, you know, settle and use that as an example, because that is a trend that we've interestingly seen from clients investing in land exactly for that purpose. And, you know, it's interesting is that sometimes the mobile home solutions are, are actually – a, a quite nice product. I mean, some, I mean, people think of, mm-hmm. you know, bad stereotypes, but I've seen even where they put multiple together um, and, and they can, they can combine them on site. Um, and it's actually quite a lot of housing um, and, and quite nice. And what's interesting from a finance point of view, I think it could actually lower the cost of financing, not just because of a lower entry level price, as you rightfully said, but also the ability to foreclose. Right. On the one hand, we, we want to have consumer protections. Things do happen um, and give people a chance to get back on their feet. But what one notices, right, the cost of borrowing varies state by state and states that have a, a foreclosure process that also is very costly and lengthy does increase mortgage rates for other borrowers. So having a vehicle like this where it's a different process could also not only have a lower price, as you rightly point out, but also have a lower interest rate on one's borrowing costs for that money. But I do have to say that that's a, that's a headset about mobile homes that is not going to go mainstream, I don't think, in the next couple of years. But I, I want to ask you a question. I read this article. It's called The Housing Market's Ice Age. It says if you don't, and it was the insider, it says if you don't already own a home, you're going to be screwed for years to come. And obviously, the feds tried to curb inflation by with prices, but it didn't stop people's desire to buy. It didn't stop. And the rent, and I, I can't speak for middle America, but I can speak for the coast. The rents are skyrocketed. So it's not that yeah. you can save money renting. Okay. So, um, and it and basically says you can't time a market, but if you didn't, if you you know that pandemic really you know when people just ran out of the cities and just bidding wars all over the places and as you said prices have come down slightly but I tell people there's no fire sale. That's right. So That's where right. do you? I mean, again, none of us can predict. Okay, but you know, so since everybody else does, where do you see things going? You know, not you know. 
we just think, you know, it's going to be a while, I think, before we see us really come out of this. And as you said, the office, you know, the office buildings are going to obviously have been hit the worst. And to rezone that all, that's going to be forever. So where do you see, you know, what are your thoughts on where we are now and where do you see us going in the next couple of years? Basically the same? Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's there's what I would like and then there's reality. And so, again, in New York, uh, there was an attempt uh, to do what was called adaptive reuse, which is basically change zoning to allow for um, repurposing. Right. A, a property and it failed it, right? It couldn't get through the, the state legislature. And so uh, my hope is, although this is a, again, a very long-term thing, it's not a short-term thing is younger people, uh, people of my kids, my kids are in their thirties and twenties are just going to be so fed up with this that, um, that they're going to rec- they're going to demand change in how we think about these things. Uh, right now, part of the problem is that people are so invested in keeping their property values high that they perceive, to some extent, accurately, that allowing a lot more housing would threaten the capital gains they have made over the years and. You know, again, if for people who bought their houses 10, 15 years ago, I don't have that much sympathy, but people who bought their houses in 2021 actually do have some sympathy because they bought into the market when it was very expensive. Of course, they also have a cheap mortgage that they can enjoy. So I don't know how this changes without um, a change in mindset. And it is, I mean, one of the things that's, that is going on, I, I do think there are a variety of reasons why New York, Illinois, California are the greatest exporters of people right now. But a lot of it is not so much Illinois, but in uh, California, New York, it's about if you're making less than 100000 a year, you have a miserable life. And you're a young person. You have a miserable life in these places. And so Phoenix looks good. Dallas looks good. Florida looks good because you can get a job. It may pay a little less, but man, your cost of housing, even though housing prices have risen in all those cities, is still so much lower than it is in on the coasts that, yeah, that's going to be your answer is you're going to move. And one thing I'll say about Texas is, man, they build. They build like crazy there. I know. I don't know if you have a few minutes or you want to come back another time, but we're coming up to this commercial break, and I'd love to just finish this off. So we'll be right back with a quick commercial break. AM 970 The Answer is bringing Dr. Lederman's expertise in alternative cancer treatments to prime time every Monday night at 7. Dr. Lederman is triple board certified in radiation oncology, medical oncology, and internal medicine, and is the first physician to perform non-invasive body radiosurgery in the Western Hemisphere, treating thousands of patients covering nearly every size, site, and type of cancer, large and small, primary and metastatic. Listen to Dr. Lederman Monday night at 7 on AM 970 The Answer. What does the perfect wedding entail? Just you, the love of your life, your guests, and the iconic New York City skyline. 
Sound too good to be true? Well, guess what? It's not. You can say, I do, with gorgeous views of the New York City skyline in the distance on board the Atlantis yacht of New York Cruises. New York Cruises is the premier, unique wedding venue. They have a dedicated staff of experienced hospitality professionals who can provide you with wedding, cruise, event planning services every step of the way. Your guests will be wined and dined on the main deck, sky deck, and lounge deck with 360-degree views of the Manhattan sky. Skyline. The Atlantis of New York Cruises is the perfect venue for corporate events, weddings, engagements, and anniversary parties, reunions, retirement parties, birthdays, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, you name it. Call 212-633-1231. That's 212-633-1231 to book your unforgettable event today or just visit NewYorkCruises.com. $1,000. That's how much you can get when you trade in your owned or leased vehicle and purchase your next car with Bay Ridge Honda. They've been your family-owned and operated dealer for over 60 years. Your Honda dealer serving the five boroughs. Brooklyn, Manhattan, Staten Island, Queens, the Bronx, they all choose Bay Ridge Honda for their quality and their service. Browse from over 150 new Honda vehicles and over 80 certified pre-owned vehicles backed by the Honda True Program at their 2022 President's Award winning dealership. Right now, get 0% APR financing and zero down payment on select Honda models all month long. Plus, what I was talking about, receive $1,000 when you turn in your owned vehicle or your leased vehicle and purchase your next car with them. Even if you don't buy from them, they want your car. Visit them at 4th Avenue and 88th Street in beautiful Bay Ridge, Brooklyn or online at BayRidgeHonda.com. That's BayRidgeHonda.com. Available to qualified buyers, additional fees may apply. See dealer for details and 630-2023. I'm Ferenc Toth, host of the Your Personal Bank Show. I use common sense as an entrepreneur, financial literacy educator, and speaker to understand how current events affect our money, economy, and our freedom. Grow your money safely, reduce taxes, increase returns, and create positive arbitrage with Your Personal Bank. Tune in to the Your Personal Bank show Saturdays at 4 p.m. or contact parents at yourpersonalbank.com. The Your Personal Bank show Saturdays at 4 p.m. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back and we are so fortunate to have Professor Green. And so in your, you know, I know you have to go and we appreciate the time that you spent with us because you're so knowledgeable. And again, no one has a crystal ball. Um, so, you know, what I, you know, I'm seeing, you know, and I remember in 2008, um, I won't mention the magazine, it said that the, the young people won't buy houses because they've seen their parents lose equity and lose value and, and I always say to someone, unless you bought at the height of the market and you have to sell it at, at the, when the market dips, most people have a lot of equity uh, in, in their homes. And I don't think the market's going to drop. My, you know, as you said, it, a little here and there, but not tremendously. And those, you mentioned California and people exiting. I think I read California was the number one, number one exit in the place. New York was number two. Uh, and Florida was one of the places that more people were going to. But I found that people, after a while, then they miss New York or they miss California. So, I, you know, I, I'm not sure where it's going. I just think that people just have to stick with it. Um, 
you know, get out there because there's always someone that has to buy, you know, has to sell somewhere along the line. And most people aren't going to take a loss. It's, you know, they say that, you know, you still made money. It's not that you're not going to make money uh, if you if you come down a little bit in prices. That's my feeling. So, well, I mean, if you look at – so I don't know. I, I can't cite a statistic for New York, but my, I imagine it's similar to California. Because in California, again, going back to World War II, so long as you hold on at least 10 years, you do not lose money on real estate in California. You, you, you get a big, it, it will bounce back, right? It'll bet. Now, if you're holding for three to five years, who knows what could happen, right? So when you say, and it's advice I give to people when people ask me all the time, should I buy a house? And the first thing I ask them is, do you plan on living where you're going to, in that house for at least five years? Because if it's not at least five years, something bad could happen. And on top of that, just the closing costs are um, sufficiently high that it's hard to amortize those costs. But if you have a long-term horizon, yeah, I mean, um, there are places in the world where um, where ultimately real estate comes back. And, and I want to come back to a, a comment that I, I don't remember who of, who of the two of you made, but, you know, are we are, will New York or San Francisco be like Detroit? And the answer is no. No, no way. And, and the, the big differences between Detroit and um, what I'll call California, York, Cali, York, is Detroit was a one industry town. And so all you needed was for that industry to get into trouble and it was going to be into trouble. And because it was a one in industry town, you didn't have highly uh, educated workers in that town. And that combination is a devastating combination, can be a devastating combination for cities, and we've seen it in a number of others. New York and California cities are so well diversified economically that, uh, and such high-skilled people, that um, sort of the bones that make cities resilient are there in both places. So, so they will, whatever trouble they have, they will come back, and I think will ultimately be stronger than ever but I don't know exactly when that happens. Is it five years? Is it 10 years? That I don't know. Clearly, there have to be some changes in policy. Again, one of the things that happened in New York is crime dropped dramatically, and suddenly New York was, again, a very appealing place for people to live. But over the long haul, I think they will be fine. But there's no – Texas is a juggernaut. And I think there are things we on the coast could learn from Texas, as hard as that may be uh, for some people to swallow. The, the evolution of Dallas, Houston, and Austin has been quite remarkable over the last 40 to 50 years. So maybe there are some lessons we should take away from those places. I think that's, um, I think that's a great uh, example. And I do think that you know what I said? I, I call housing the universal language. Everyone wants to know about it. Everyone wants to learn about it. And obviously, it's a not a short term. You know that you know those shows flip it and make millions of dollars. Well, okay, um, it's a little exaggerated. I think that, as you said, our best advice would be: Hey, if you can afford to buy a home and you can get into it. Um, and, and it's tough, but you got to be on top of it. 
um, and you're not looking to sell in the next couple of years, okay, it's a long-term investment, that's the way to go. Yeah. So I ho- are you, it's been such a pleasure and so good to speak to you, a wealth of knowledge, and I really appreciate you coming on for our listeners and myself, and I hope you'll come on another day. And thank you so much. I'd be much. happy to. And uh, just uh, just an FYI, I was born in the Bronx, so it's a pleasure to be on a New York uh, show. Thank you so much, and have a good weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. We were really lucky to have him. And when you think about the big picture, and I'm not going to get into little details of this, that, and the other thing, but for the most of, most of us, if you go back to 2008, I remember when people were pulling their money out of the banks and there were so many foreclosures, but a lot of foreclosures were that people took equity out of their homes. So maybe they bought their home 10 years ago and then they used their equity loans and they took equity out. And so when the market dropped a bit, um, they had pulled equity. Had they not pulled equity out of their house, they would have been certainly fine. So one of the things that my advice is, if you do use equity loans, make sure, okay, that you don't overdo it. Do it only when it's really necessary or if you're using it to put it to another investment that's not risky, so be it. Um, I don't think in the big cities that you save any much rent. Uh, I think that if you're looking for a home, and and I guess the millennials – they have, you know, they, they're out there. That's the biggest, biggest, biggest generation. And following that is Generation Z. All I want to say to those of you who are listening, and if you're not a millennial or Generation Z, but you are parents of one or grandparents of one, home ownership is really not out of reach for younger buyers. Affordability is on top of mind. There's mortgage rates. And homes are continue to climb and inventory is still shrinking. But that puts you in somewhat of a decision. But if you're really diligent and you really get out there, and I, and I can tell you this personal story. I had a, uh, a listing where the man was in Florida and uh, he was, uh, his house was a bit overpriced. And it was sitting on the market for a couple of months. And one day I got a call and he said, Scotty, I'm in Florida. I had a heart attack. Just put my house at a price. Don't give it away. But put it at a price that, that it's going to sell out. So I didn't give it away. He certainly made money. I put it at what it should go for. It sold in three hours. And so a lot of times if you put in an offer, and I'm going to say this again, if the home has been on the market a short period of time, a seller is less likely to take that first offer. And, um, and to the sellers, sometimes your first offer is your best offer. So don't discount it. But sellers say, oh, well, I got this so quick. You know, let me wait a little longer. If you make an offer and it is not accepted and they take somebody else's offer um, or they just reject it, Leave a standing offer in. Say, look, you know, I tell your realtor I wish them well, but I'm leaving this offer standing, and if anything happens, 
and they change their mind, um, we're here. Because a lot of times when a house comes out on the market and somebody puts their offer that's lower than their price that they want, but not too much lower, they say, well, you know what? It's not a bad offer, but I just had my house on a week. Let me give it a couple of weeks to see if I get better. Okay, maybe I didn't price it high enough. Uh, and a lot of times their first offer is the best and they don't get a better one. So two words of advice for the seller and one for the buyer. If you're a seller and your first offer is close to what you want and the terms are good, even if it's on the market one day, don't discount it and say, oh, well, if I got this so quick, I might as well wait. Sometimes that's the best offer you'll have. Um, and if you're a buyer, you got to stick to it. As I say every week, you've got to run out and see something anytime your realtor calls you. And if you don't have an accepted offer and they reject your offer, they just say, no, it's too low. Actually, then leave that offer in. Because they might not get the offer they want, and maybe a month later they'll come back to you. You might have found something by then, but if not, you can't lose. It's a really great, it's kind of a crazy market we're in, okay? But I got to tell you, it's an exciting market. And for those who want to work, let me tell you, homeownership is the pathway to building wealth. If you don't have the rent and you can buy, that's the way to go. Okay. Um, I am in Garden City at Adult Fund University, which is my alma mater function. I am going to have a great time tonight. I wish everyone a great weekend, and we'll be back next week, and I'll really get to depth about how you should buy your first house. Wishing everyone a healthy, safe, happy weekend. Back next week. The preceding hour of programming paid for by DTHY Realty Incorporated. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.